Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, this is comedian and depressed alcoholic James Nokise, and you're listening to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower, a podcast about headspace and happiness. From my safe space, the shower with fried chicken. This episode, I'm talking to comedian, actor, television host, and marching girl, Hayley Sproul. We'll chat about choices on medication. I think I was just overwhelmed mm. and really sick of dealing with it, and I just would wake up with dread. You know, that in your chest, mm. and I go to bed with doom, and I wake up with dread. Choices of a performer. Since I could remember being able to form sentences in my head, the goal has always been to go, what's the funny situation, and how can I draw attention to it in order to make these people around me laugh? And choices on social media. It's funny, like, if I talk about my social media inbox, it's truly a mix of, like, leery creeps <laughs> and, like, desperate women being like, I, I watched your doco. Oh, my God. <laughs> Some of this will get a bit real. The language, the subjects. So make sure you're in the safe space with your comfort food. And join us, eating fried chicken in the shower. Hi, and welcome to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower. I'm James McKeese, and today with me, I have Hayley Sproul. That's my name. <laughs> um, who I have known, I, I thought about this, and it makes me feel very old. I've known you since you were in drama school. Wow, you said that in a way that a man would say, I've known you since you were in primary school. Yes, I did. I said it in a much creepier, older man's way. <laughs> I apologise profusely. When did we like, meet? Because like, we met through mutual friends. Probably at Downstage? Yeah, I think so. Like Down, around, down around those days? Yeah, oh, that's right. We did that project for Downstage. Uh, like at Downstage. For our listeners who are like, what the hell are these two on about? Hayley and me met each other in the arts in Wellington mm. in the scene there, but then we've also gone to several festivals. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Edinburgh a couple of times. You yeah. took a solo show there and yeah. you've taken your incredible marching band. Well, not you, you've gone as part of my of marching team. Your marching not a team. Band. Sorry, we don't marching. play instruments. Don't play, yeah, no, you just walk <laughs> oh. very professionally. Wow, thank you. This interview's over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we do. It's fancy walking. It's fancy and it's so funny. For so many years, I've tried to sell people, like, marching is so much more. <laughs> yeah. And then when you break it down, you're like, I am walking and singing with a bunch of women. <laughs> but it's, it's very fancy. Like it's you're, fancy You're walking. at the tattoo. Yeah. You're in the castle. Yeah, I've performed at the Edinburgh Tattoo three times now. Yeah. Are you, like, of all the comedians in New Zealand, are you the most tattoo experienced? I, th- I think I'm the most heavily tattooed, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. In fact... I don't know any other... I mean, I don't know any other marching comedians. Yeah, that's true. Or actors, tr- even. That's true. You're really breaking ground. Yeah. I'm a pioneer. Yeah, you're a maverick. Thank you so much. You're a maverick marcher. <laughs> I'm going to put that on my business card. <laughs> maverick marcher? Maverick marcher. Are you, like... Because that's the fun thing, is that because I come back to New Zealand, mm. um, not being based here anymore, and I get to see people like you who I've, I've known and been in the trenches of like, Edinburgh with. Oh, yeah. And you're kind of famous Don't now. Don't say it. You are, you're bus famous. I like, am bus you, you famous. You might not be household name famous. I'll give you that, because I, I don't know, but you are bus famous. I am bus famous. I'm heavily bus famous. Yeah. Those buses are everywhere, and they're like the big double-decker ones in Auckland, yeah. so that's literally like a huge Haley goes by. And sometimes I'm on another bus, <laughs> sort of sitting there as one goes by going, 
Like, are people does, does on anyone... the bus like looking at it and then turning around going, I think the you know bus what? lady is behind us. I think that's her. I feel like I don't actually ever get recognised. Yeah. Honestly, really, very seldom. Mostly children, and I think that's Bake Off related. Like kids right. love Bake Off. Because you're like, is it? Uh, you got Bake Off. You got uh, Have You Been Paying Attention? Uh, and Golden and Boy. Golden Boy. Yeah, so that's that's a lot of prime time. Yeah, three TV shows. Yeah, man. <laughs> a bit greedy. But I always feel like in those things, like, Have You Been Paying Attention is like the most prominent one at the moment because it's on every week. Mm. And in that, I'm wearing these like bright suits and I've got all this hair extensions in and full yeah. makeup. And generally, like... You're lucky. I've, I've slapped a bit of mascara on for you, James. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so. I, no, no, it's very much appreciated. No, yeah. I mean, it doesn't do much for radio, but no, like, visually, no. like, the clips are kind of really pop. This is really good. This is where you want to watch it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what chicken, uh, my newly famous friend, have you bought for us? We, I think we've gone with Korean fried chicken. Excellent. Oh, no, I'm, look. It's yeah. Taiwanese. Taiwan oh, yes, it is Taiwanese. We made a last-minute change, I will say. Uh, that's all right. I requested karagi, but it's too early in the day, apparently, oh, for right. karagi. So we've got Taiwanese chicken. Excellent. And what the, we had a selection oh, of um, uh, seasonings Excellent. to choose from. Great. And I chose the chef's special. Awesome. You have no idea what's in that, do you, mate? I think it looks really good. It does. I like that it's called kai. Um, kai Eatery. Is it's it a called Kai or is it Kai? No, it is Kai. It is Kai. Yeah, yeah, Kai Eatery, which is great because, of course, that's the Maori word for food. Um, it is the Samoan word for something else. But what is it the Samoan word oh, for? Oh, look, I don't know if we can put that on the broadcast. But oh, really? Let's just say it's an ongoing joke between the Maori and the Samoans. Oh, beautiful. Oh, it is good. Oh, Chef Special. Boom, Chef Special. Well done, Hayley Sprout. I want to say mm -hmm. it's kind of sweet. Yeah. Yeah, there is a sweetness there. It's like, what's that word? Um, like nutmeggy. Oh, okay. Like, like, like warm, spiced baked goods herbs. I'd almost lean towards like plum, like there'd been some plum involved in the <laughs> marination of this. I'm suspicious there's been some plum involved. No, I'm not suspicious. I'm just saying the sweetness of it lends itself towards like a plum or something. I like these little envelopes I've put it in. You're really going to get your hands involved. Mm. It's good chicken. It's good chicken. That's very good. Thank you, Kai Eatery. How, how are you finding all of the popularity and all that? Because even then when I mentioned it before, you were like, oh, no, no I'm not that, you know, and that. But you kind of are. And, that's, and it's cool to be like, do that Kiwi thing of downplay. But, Humble pie. But, you know, mentally, how's it, how's it all going with the, the exposure... Um, you know, being more of a public person? I think, like, I think, well, I'll always have, like, coming from a background in theatre, mm. in fringiness, you know, mm. that kind mm. of hustle, I think I'll always be suspicious that it's going to leave. So I think mm. that that's why I'm always, like, I'm not famous, because I'm not, like, embedded into uh, New Zealand's zeitgeist at yeah. all. I'm, like, yeah. a new arrival, yeah. and it's just... I've arrived in quite a full-on way mm. with three TV shows, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I always feel like I don't ever sort of settle into the idea of it because I just know it's all going to go. Yeah. So that's why I'm, yeah, I'm always, I'm just like, it's just a job, I'm just doing a job and I'm lucky at the moment mm. and then it will all go and I'll go back to self-funding my solo shows <laughs> at independent theatres around the world. Uh, it's always waiting for you, mate. They're always there. Is it... I don't know. I went to a theatre party recently mm. and someone looked across the room and said... Why are you here? What? It was a friend, and he definitely meant, like, why are you in Wellington? Oh, right. But it was kind of like... in my insecurities, I was like, this isn't, these are not my people <laughs> anymore. 
I've abandoned them. <laughs> Your TV now. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm happy to be. Yeah. Is it um? Is it like when you when you talk like that? Are you are we talking like imposter syndrome levels, or is it more just a basic anxiety? Because I think a lot of people, regardless of what their job is, they kind of like they have those moments of success, and like it could it could all go. Mm. Absolutely, I think it is. A, I do feel a bit like an imposter because, like two of my shows. Just to keep reiterating that I've got three TV shows. Oh, keep it. Um, <laughs> two of them I host, yeah. and that's not what I train to do. You know, like yeah, I'm an yeah. actor. Mm. I went to drama school. I've done comedy, mm. and I've sort of just fallen into those roles, which you know lend themselves to performance and um, comedy. Mm. So I, I've always sort of gone like, I'm not a real presenter. I didn't go to broadcasting school. I'm not Hillary Barry. Mm. She's famous. Mm. You know. Oh yeah. But give it time, mate. Give it time. I might. Me and Hillary get up here and make it done at the same time. Well, I'm, I'm on my way out. Do you, want, do you want me to pick up that name or do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Hillary, I've just dropped you on the floor there. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's not, I mean, it's, it's not an anxiety because to me it's not like it's real. Like it's just mm. going to happen. And also, like, I seem to have landed quite heavily in television, mm. which is not doing well. You right. know, like yeah. TV is not going to be around forever. I don't think that's your fault. Well, ask Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Really? <laughs> Really? Surely you're too, like, I don't mean this in a patronising way, but surely you're too new to, to mm. be getting the hard stuff. But do you get, like... Oh, yeah. I don't think anyone's immune. Mm. I get lots of it on Twitter, actually. Really? Yeah, I don't actually use Twitter. I just have an account. I think because... So people have a target? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, you can message me here, I guess. But I think yeah, anyone on TV gets, um, especially women, will mm. get a lot of messages that are horrible. I, it all started, I made, I don't know if you know this, but I made a joke about Simon Bridges and abortions on Seven Days. Okay. And this was my like second ever TV appearance on Seven Days. Mm. And it just went like poof, on Twitter of people. The, oh my God, the comments I got on Twitter were crazy. People were messaging my mum saying like that she should have aborted me. And People were messaging your mum? Yeah. Oh no, that's not on. Crazy, yeah. That's nuts. Uh huh. Because I always feel like parents, there is a bit of a, like, when it, when it comes to the celebrity game, mm. like, maybe, you know, I, know when, I know when politicians, people get a bit crazy about that stuff, but when it comes to like performers and entertainers, I feel like the, the family outside is yeah. a bit off. It is a bit. And my mum can't help herself. She gets involved. She's very oh, unprotective. No. Oh, mum. I know. And my role is, like, never respond. Yeah. You know, you're sitting there, like, thinking of your witty comeback to be like, <laughs> and it's never, it's never going to lead anywhere because it's mm. just going to go back and forth. But every now and then my mum will comment. The best thing she's done is a guy messaged me. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, of course. A guy messaged me and said, um, I'd so eat your asshole, you beautiful piece of ass." And head, <laughs> which is really forward, right? It's very forward. Like, not only are we not sexually engaged with each other yet, yeah. but like, we're just diving straight into ass play. Yeah. And I wasn't, you know. Well, it's, it's 2020. It is 2020. I, I think, you know, I'm not shut off to the idea, but, you know, let's have a drink first yeah. or get to meet each other. Yeah. Anyway, so he messaged me, and then I went on his profile, because I like to have a look at who these people are, just oh, yeah. to go, yeah, yeah. oh, no, I'm, I'm okay. I don't, I don't need your opinion. Mm. And I went on, and he had. Um, like his family tagged in his profile. So my, my including he had a wife. Uh-oh. And then 
everyone was saying to me, like, you should message his wife and say, your husband's been... Mm. And I was like, I don't, want, I don't want to take it that far. He's just being a dick, and he thinks that because I'm on TV, he has, you know, some kind of yeah. opening to say these things to me. But anyway, my mum messaged his mother directly, mm. saying, from one mother to another, this is what your son is doing online. <sighs> oh, no, actually, I, I, yeah, I take it back. Awesome mum. It's full on, that's, eh? That's, I mean, that's a power mum play, mum to mum. She never heard back, but... Yeah, but but I feel like it was received. Yeah. Is there a mental attrition to that? Mm. Is, it, is it wearying? It's, it's, yeah, it's tiresome. Mm. I think, that, I mean, that, that, I mean, when I, I went, you know, with, with the seven days joke that I made, that was my first ever, like I didn't even tweet. And then that was my first kind of experience of that, mm. like any kind of public um, sort of war, basically. Mm. Mm. Um, and I found that quite difficult. And then once I was on tally more, and you get more of them, like every day I'll get a message that is um, inappropriate in some way. Every day? Every day. Is that, is that frustrating, or do you just, is it just water off a duck's back for you at this point? Yeah, a little bit. It's just sort of, I don't, I don't really care. But, you know, like if someone talks about how unfunny I am or mm. how annoying or they don't find, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm. I find that a little insulting. Not yeah. insulting, that hurts a little bit more because that's maybe an insecurity yeah. of mine, you know, that I'm not funny enough for the job. As opposed to people being like, she's ugly, because then you're like, get fucked. No, I'm not. Eating fried chicken in the shower, like the car map, but more food-focused. What do you do for joy, then? What, like, like, that makes you uh, sad or frustrated. What's, what do you pick yourself up with, mate? I, what do I do for joy? I exercise quite a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I like, um, I don't know, I keep a nice house. It's just like really quiet things. And one of the, you know, it's like no shock to, like, that with all comedians, we, you know, we love socialising, we charge up, we love entertaining people, we're hungry for an audience at all times. Mm -hmm. But when I'm home, yeah. it's closed doors, man. Like I don't want, I don't want, I don't even invite people around that mm -hmm. much. You know, yeah. I just have a nice home, a nice life, a cat, quite quiet. <laughs> Growing the plants like all millennials, so it's quite uh, just just simple things. Call up your mum. Call my mum. I call Tell my mum every day. Get off Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, mum, leave it alone. Yeah. I talk to my <laughs> mum every single day. All right. Yeah. All day. I often think oh, about no, this, no. like, well, not a lot of my friends do. Yeah. Especially as we like get older and head into our thirties. Mm. Um, ancient. <laughs> But, you know, like life kind of goes on and you separate more and more as you build your own life from your family life. Mm. But, no, I ring my mum every day. It just, even in the car, just being like, hey, what are you doing? I'm driving. Yeah, same. What's it, do you have, like, because we all do as artists have a little bit of family guilt. Like, it's like, do you, do you, like what's your measure of that? I don't have a lot. Only yeah. because my parents, bless them, have... Pushed us in this direction mm. and supported us and encouraged encouraged us the whole time. Mm. Like my mum, I learned piano when I was six years old. Mm. And my mum, if my mum hadn't, have, I'm not selling her like a pusher, <laughs> but if she hadn't have um, been on me with my piano lessons, I wouldn't have kept on going. You mm. know, and same with any time I've wanted to give up acting or performing because it was hard or I didn't have any money, mm. they've always been like, no, 
keep going, keep <laughs> practicing, keep getting better. Yeah. Get on the piano, do your scales. Yeah, my, my family is not quite the same. Right. So if I told my dad, ah, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to give up this whole shebang, he'd be like, you know, the church is waiting for you. Oh, be like, oh, the church? Yeah, they would. My Samoan family, if I stopped doing all of this and took like, told him I was training to be a minister, they would be like, yes, finally, God oh, has got wow. him. But more importantly, the money that he'll get from God getting him. The <laughs> money he'll get from God. <laughs> it's time. Not no, anymore. my parents, they're, they're, they've always been kind of on board. Like, I love to think of my parents. My brother's been in bands his whole life. Mm. And I love my parents, and he, heavy metal bands, like heavy, yeah, heavy. Right. And I love that my parents would just be at the gigs in the mm. mosh pit, you know, like right up against the speakers. Not their kind of music, but mm. they're loving it and supporting it. Same, like, I've been naked on stage in front of my parents. I've told so many of my family and personal secrets on stage and they just sit there like woof like yeah. oh that's full on but we absolutely support it or I mean when I made I mean I made vanilla medaka I didn't even really ask my mum mm. it was about her and her family mm. and then she just came to opening night and was there the whole time being like <laughs> and I was like oh sorry but they're just, they're just all for it, like yeah. anything that we do. Yeah. I, I mean, my first play was about my parents' domestic violence, which I asked them about. I interviewed them because it was almost like verbatim, some mm. of the scenes. And they'd never talked about it. We'd never talked about it. The family had never talked oh, about God. it. And then I just went around going, hi, I've written a play on the thing. But when they opened up, and then they kind of, the trauma, they kind of forgot yeah. that they'd told me what they told me because they were in the moment. Um, your play, uh, Vanilla Miraka. Miraka, yeah. What was that about? Like, when you're talking with your mum, yeah, your mum's life. Yeah. Where... Well, it was about, it was about me being Māori, but feeling very disconnected from it mm. because of the way that I look and the way that I was raised. Kia ora, welcome. <laughs> Kia ora. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was like, it was kind of just a question that I had and was talking to Aaron about and then we were talking to Takirua about it and they commissioned this play. Mm. And, yeah, it was about me losing my Māori grandmother mm. and that kind of opening up the realisation that my Māoriness was also dead and I was having this profound kind of like, oh, no, sort of mm. moment. So I made a show about that. Um, yeah, just about being disconnected, basically. Yeah. Uh, look, I can completely yeah. understand that. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I'm semi-tanned now, but I remember when I first started, one of the weirder comments I got when I first started doing comedy was from my Samoan elders, not my family, mm. the elders, because mm -hmm, of the way mm -hmm. the, the whanau and the ainga are very similarly built up. And they said, oh, they're good comments what you're saying, but we don't think it should be you saying it. I, like, I was 22. Yeah. And what you just said really knocked me that you said, you know, my Māori side is dead. Mm. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone with Māori blood, with Māori heritage, say that. Yeah. Is that how you feel? Um, a little bit, yeah. It's definitely how I felt quite strongly. Yeah. I think that's changed because through making that work, I had to fight to be able to be Māori. So that in the, similar to the comments that you received with your piece of work, a lot of the feedback from the show from um, some people in the Māori community was what gives you the right to talk about this culture when you don't know it, mm. you don't look like you represent it, mm. um, and yeah, you're, you're, you're entirely disconnected. Um, and so I had to sort of 
fight to be able to say, I am Māori, I'm a different type of Māori, mm. um, that is still, um, that's still Māori. Like, it's still, it may not look like your version of it, or, you know, someone made a comment saying, like, you don't know what it's like to go to school and be discriminated against, you know, mm. and, and that's something that Māori have to put up with. And my thing was, like, I've, that's not, I'm not telling that story. That's not the... That's not my experience of being Māori. It's a different uh, Māori life in a way. Mm. So, yeah, it definitely felt like, you know, it's that connecting point was my nana. And when she died, it mm. just felt like, you know, that she doesn't come from a family that holds, like, a great understanding of the culture or anything like that. So mm. once she was gone, it was kind of like, well, damn, she didn't teach my mum those mm. things. Mm. And then my mum didn't teach me. And now I don't know anything um, and I don't have the opportunity to ask anymore. Mm. So yeah, I did feel a bit like it was dead. And and then because the, the the response of the work was amazing, because on one side you've got people who were going, that's me, you know, that really lost right, feeling right, yeah, going, yeah. oh, I understand that. And on the other side, it was a lot of people saying, how dare you? Mm. Um, and I think because that response was so overwhelming, it kind of has pushed me away from the investigation for quite a while. Right. So in terms of my mildiness, it's not something that I really claim that often or that I investigate or that I even have thought about in, in a huge way because it really terrified me and mm. I felt unworthy and, mm. and yeah, like, like I had no entitlement to mm. even talk about it, even though I was talking about something that was very real for me and an experience that was, you know, based in fact and something that actually happened. Mm. It's very interesting to talk to someone who has experienced very similar situations to what I've experienced mm -hmm. in, in, in Samoanness. I don't think people truly grasp that when you have that blood connection, mm. when it's your heritage, when your parent is clearly yeah. of the culture, to have someone turn around and then say to you, you are not of that culture, mm. And you have no right to talk of the culture mm. and invalidate not simply your experience, but because of the way that Māori and Samoan and many other Pacific cultures are set up to invalidate your heritage. Mm. Like, how, I know how I dealt with the pain, mm. but you're my guest. <laughs> how do you deal? Like, did, what does that pain to you? I think if I'm being honest, and I wish that I was, you know, I, I, I could say that I handled it better. I didn't. I cried a lot. Mm. I cried a lot. I, I shut down. I like. I didn't confront a lot of the criticism about that that was coming towards me because, you know, I didn't. F I feel like people who are really connected to Māoridom, that I feel like they've just got a stronger stance. Whereas I was floating in this kind of, you know, mm. fluid uh, unsurety mm. of of where I stood within um, that culture. So I felt like I didn't have the strength or the ability to like hold on to my belief and mm. and stand by my work. So I truly shut down. I mean, I mm. never did the show again. Mm. I d just put it in a suitcase and put it in my garage and was like, I don't ever want to do that again. Mm. Which was so, it's so terrible that I kind of let that happen because at the end of the day, like the, I let this sort of... Um, critical response overwhelm 
a, a huge amount of amazing conversation that came from the work and not to mention I mean my mum and her sister's response to the work was like intense mm. and um her whole family came down from where we're from and from Tinopai and watched in the front row and they Your were family's like, from Tinopai? Yeah. Come on man. <laughs> like that's like that's where we come from. But they all came down, you know, and yeah. and, and that whole the whole end of the show um is my uh, nana's coffin going down and mm. um, it, it being very, very funny because someone, as they were juddering the ropes down, their phone fell out of their pocket underneath the coffin in the mm. hole and, yeah. and they were like laughing and mm. crying. And yeah. So in a way, like for a while, I felt like, well, I've spoken on behalf of my family and they support it and that's all I need. Mm. But... Yeah, I just didn't have the strength to fight for it. That's trauma. What you're talking about is trauma, man. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I do. And when people ask me about being Māori, I do. I get really like a bit sort of defensive or just shut off or I just kind mm. of shy away from it. Mm. Because, yeah, I guess I feel not. Yeah, I just feel like I'm not entitled to say that. Yeah. Beyond privately ticking a box on a census or whatever. But your family had your back? Yeah, they did, in a big way. Don't say fuck everyone else. Yeah. Haley Sproul, mm. why have I only just found out in the past hour that your father is a Samoan chief? How has this happened? Trust me, listeners, I'll find some way to spin this about mm. mental health, but mm. <laughs> I need to know, and you need to. The world needs to know, Haley Sproul. Like, we were talking about your issues with Māori identity and coming to terms with that. But you're a Samoan chief's daughter, ah. and I feel like that needs to be discussed. Okay, so <laughs> I know. So Craig Robert Sproul yeah. is, um, a, yeah, the chief, uh, a chief of a of a Samoan village. I can't remember the name of it. Um, it better not be Lusoli'i, or I'm going to be really annoyed. <laughs> oh my god, my dad might be listening, going, "It is." It's like, oh, that means you're my chief's daughter. It's really weird. So, <laughs> so what happened was there was. Um, uh, I can't remember what year it was. There was a tsunami or a... Yeah, the tsunami. The tsunami. Yeah, yeah. And it destroyed this village yes. in summer. And this uh, ch- church was the main thing that kind of yeah. uh, was destroyed in this community. Yeah. And my dad uh, uh, has a finance company and he does a lot of like charity work through uh, yeah. some of his clients. And one of his clients came and was telling my dad about how this church had been destroyed and how it, you know, they had no money to mm. fix it. And so my dad uh, funded the rebuild of this church in this um, community. Mm. And then through his company. Uh, and then they invited him and my mum over because someone was having a wedding. That's normally <laughs> how it goes. Yeah, we don't, we don't do small weddings in summer. No, no, no. And then, of course, my dad and my mum were invited and... Um, yeah, they they uh, offered him this this title mm. of being a chief of their village, and then the, my favourite part of the whole thing is that uh, one of the sort of main guys that my dad was involved in, he named their son Craig. It's beautiful, Craig. That's, that's... that poor young Samoan boy, Craig. Look, there are worse Samoan names to have than Craig. <laughs> All right. Look, I mean, if it's Craig and they're from New Zealand and named after the jam, okay, that's one thing. But Craig <laughs> named after Craig who helped rebuild the church. Yeah. I mean, that's akin unto Jesus, really. Yeah, I guess so. I think I know the village you're talking about. I think you might really? be talking about Lalomano on the um, southern coast. Hmm. 
Mm. Does that ring any bells? No, I, I, I genuinely I don't think I've ever been told what the name was. But it's odd, yeah, I mean, it's so odd seeing my dad. My dad is like, he's got like bluey green eyes, sandy yeah. blonde hair. He's just, just a lovely man. And to see him, you know, in the full garb and yeah. and being welcomed into this community, it's like it just—it honestly makes me laugh. Like it's so sweet, yeah. <laughs> in a way. Have you ever thought of using that the next time someone tries to attack you over your Maori heritage? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, actually, I'm the daughter of a Samoan chief. They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> His name's Craig. His name's Craig. <laughs> An ancient Samoan name. Chief Craig. Okay. Yeah. Named after the All Black prop in the early nineties. <laughs> Who was friends with Otto Brown? <laughs> Another sound. So there you go. There you go. Question me now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Steve Hansen's a Samoan chief, so it's not the worst thing in the world. I think they just hand them out willy-nilly. Yeah, unless you're a Samoan comedian. Yeah, there you go. No, I've been told mine's coming for you're me. You're waiting. Yeah. Eating fried chicken in the shower. Wash off the trolls and feed up your soul. Or whatever you have inside. What's your, what's your level of anxiety? Like, like how do you... When, when you're functioning and going through... I, know that there's a link between you know going fast and, and being active mm. and then anxiety is kind of like the backlash that yes, you get from yeah. that like what what's yours do you know it's funny like I, just saying then like, that I feel I've become more sure um, sure of myself as a person mm. as I get older but I've become a more anxious person and maybe that's because I'm revealing that that's how it always was mm. or maybe that's developing because of you know my lifestyle I'm not sure but Definitely, like anxieties in my family, in, in a in a big way, and a bit of depression and that kind of stuff. Mm. And I always thought that that wasn't me, and that this kind of energy that I have, which is always on edge mm. and um, a bit bitey, was just sort of a a personality trait. And then I think getting into this body of work, this kind of um, career, you know, in mm. this this line of work. It uh, really feeds it, mm. you know, which is just that um, lack of stability and um, f- fluid money. You just never know when it is and when it's not. Um, you know, public eye critique, all those kind of things have definitely made it um, a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Got to a point where I medicated about two years ago, and then I just it just like wasn't for me. I just, mm. I just, and then I start questioning like, what am I missing? What am I not feeling? What else has it taken away? Uh, so even though I felt a lot calmer, mm. I, f- I lost a little bit of my edge. So mm. I just thought, I think I'd rather have the anxiety as part of my life, and um, but still be able to be a bit more alert and um, make work basically, mm. you know, and, and be who I am. Mm. But it, it's like, you know, it's ebbs and flows, really. Sometimes it just goes for long periods of time where I just feel very, very chill and then sometimes feel immensely overwhelmed. Mm. I think people with, don't understand that medication isn't always an answer, mm. but it's also not always not the answer. No, no. Like it's, it's literally just, it works differently for different people yeah. and sometimes at different times. Yeah. And it's sort of, I mean, I used it, I, I never really used it in my head as a long-term plan. I think I was just overwhelmed mm. and really sick of dealing with it. And I just would wake up with dread, you know, that in your chest. Mm. And I'd go to bed with doom. And I'd wake up with dread. And I'd be like, that's boring. I've, I've got nothing else. I genuinely have nothing to worry about, mm. you know. And so I sort of went like, just short-term, I just want a, a little bit of a helping hand mm. to get through it. And then I felt great, but a bit sort of, nah. So... 
I felt ready to come off it. And I was. Yeah. And I don't regret it. But it's yeah. just more just something that you, it just comes back into your life and you have to sort of handle it. And it's great. I mean, it's, we're so lucky we come from an industry which, unfortunately, mm. is plagued with people with anxiety. Yeah. Um, because of the, like, just the demands of the job, I guess. So it's, I've never felt isolated or alone or embarrassed mm. or like, oh, no, I could never tell anyone that... Um, I was on edge, you know, today, mm. so sorry if I'm not chatty or whatever. It's very, it's so open mm. talking to people. It all, like, there's nothing, there's never been a time where I've felt like I had to hide it. Have you, have you found that being a comedian, being musical, mm. that's, that's helped with stuff? Like, because you're, the way you've talked about stuff today, you know, there's a bit of lightness to it. There's a bit mm. of, you know, you, you use comedy in that traditional way yeah. of, you know, what, what does it mean to you to have those moments of joy? I think it's the only way I know. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've ne- I'm not, I didn't choose to be a comedian. It's just was always going to happen. You know, or, right. or, or, I didn't choose to be a performer. It was just... Hmm. It sounds so cheesy, but it's like, that's just who I am. You didn't choose the joke life, the joke life chose me. The joke life chose me, baby. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, since I was a kid, I've been like this. Right. Since since I could remember being able to form sentences in my head, the goal has always been to go, what's the funny situation and how can I draw attention to it in order to make these people around me laugh? Mm. And that's through primary school, high school, drama school, and now into my career. So it's... It's it's not like I've, I've consciously chosen comedy as the way to get through life and to handle things and to make money. Mm. It just was the only way. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, like I said before, with making comedy about hard issues, mm. I fully am aware that comedy is not the escape of mm. dealing with life. It's just one way. There's an irreverence, I find, yeah. that when you use comedy to talk about hard issues, it softens the issue enough that people listen. Mm. Like, do you find when you're, like, internally, with, like, with your own issues, that if you use comedy on it, I know this sounds wanky, I know, I'm aware. No, no, I'm um, if you use comedy on it and you find that irreverence, it helps you yes. to just, you know, get out of bed or yes. like make the coffee. You know, like that. I like I, I've there's a whole other kettle of fish, but I've got a lot of like reproductive issues, and I made this documentary about PCOS, which is right. um, I've got PCOS. Yeah, oh, mate, that's mate. But but the whole point is that. Um, having this like lifelong thing that is mm. honestly a pain in the ass, making comedy about it. Mm. It was, it's just made it made, made my day-to-day existence with this condition mm. manageable. I know about PCOS. I don't think you'll mind me saying because my wife hasn't. Mm. Um, but for our listeners, can you explain what PCOS it's is? It's polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's, it's a very complicated condition where... One of the symptoms is that you have cysts on your ovaries, but you don't always have to have it. Mm. But basically, it's all kind of centered around hormones and insulin, mm. and you produce too much um, testosterone as a, re- as a result of these increased levels of insulin, which basically it makes you hairy, it makes you, uh, it gives you acne, uh, give you mood swings, it can make you infertile, mm. um, it can make you gain weight. Uh, it's just really sort of like daily annoyances mm. that it can provide and I mean I talk from the position of someone who doesn't want to have children but beyond it being annoyance it can be a real um, pain for people who want to have a baby yeah <laughs> you're looking me in the eye with that yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but that's a different podcast, it ladies and gentlemen. a different one. Uh, but anyway, it's for, for me, it is truly just one of those things that felt like a hard hand that I was dealt. Mm. And learning more about it, I really realised how much work I had to put into managing it. And mm. I'm lazy, and I didn't mm. want to put that work in. Mm. Um, so I used comedy to kind of learn more and lighten it and actually realise that it's all very doable and manageable and um, there are worse things to have. It is one of those, we were talking before about attrition, there's like another factor where there's not much research on it. No, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm like, sure... When you do a reference to a serious topic and you look at not just something like PCOS, but women's health, mm. you kind of need to go in a reference so you don't scream. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've talked a lot about... Um, I mean, I know that doctors have to learn a little bit about a lot, mm. um, but there's truly... The, the frustrating thing is that you have to go and do that work yourself because... Mm. Um, yeah, they just, there's just, you don't get enough information. And mm. people just sort of go, oh, PCOS, you've probably got some lumps on your ovaries and um, we'll pop you on the pill and you'll be fine. Mm. Or, oh, you, you'll find it hard to have a baby, which it's not always true, you know, mm. and people get told, and I hate this, or you won't be able to have children. Mm. And it's like, that's just not true. There's mm. just, you just are taking maybe a wobblier path there, but... Mm. Yeah, people just sort of throw it out and you're like, um, this is my entire life, this is my daily yeah. existence. And that's also like that sentence, you know, but like you said before about like how you know, feel like Māori is, is dead to you. That sentence, like you won't be able to have a child to say to a woman in her, you know, her 20s or her 30s. If you don't want to have kids, then you're probably going, okay, mm. well, it wasn't really a thing for me. Mm. But if you haven't thought of it, like, let alone if you want to, if you haven't even thought about it, I don't think... I, I honestly don't believe that our society quite... Well, a big part of our society doesn't quite get how devastating. Absolutely. Or just, that sentence, that small sentence. Yeah, there. yeah, and it's chucked around a lot. I mean, or I, I talk to so many women with PCOS now who have been told that, and it's just not true at all. And also, like, for me... I, I properly diagnosed at 21 and the doctor said oh and also if you want to have a baby do it now and I was like oh, I, I was pretty set on not having children but if if I'm being told that I can't and I had to do it now well then maybe I should and you're 21 and I'm not ready and yeah. I've got other things I want to do but maybe I'll just do it and then I'm thinking now that I'm 30 imagine if I had of and all the things that would have been different it's it's, I've spoken about this before that I find it really irresponsible, mm. you know, and you're, and you're making huge calls or people who have been told they can't so they don't bother trying. Mm. And if they desperately want a baby, it's just about how you try and how you, you know, kind of get to the bottom of it all. But if you're just told you're not, you just give up and that's miserable. Mm. And then for some people it's their, like, calling in life is to have children and... Ugh. And 10% of women have it, so it's, yeah. it's really, really common. Yeah, and there's really not... Like, the amount of people that seem to have it... Mm. Um, seem to have it. That have it... Com- that allegedly that have allegedly it. That allegedly have it, <laughs> walking around there, saying that they're Maoris, but also Samoan <laughs> chiefs, and they've got PCOS. <laughs> who are you, Haley Sprout? Um, <laughs> but the amount of people who have this condition, compared to the amount of research... Oh, I know. That is done on it. Like, you kind of have to laugh. Yeah. Because it's ridiculous. Yeah. Right? And the thing that's also crazy about it is the way to learn about it. I mean, thank God for the internet. But mm. the way to truly get to the bottom of your 
health condition, whether it's PCOS or anything else, um, costs money. Yeah. And that's the, that was the thing for me. Like I ended up seeing all these people and had the uh, privilege of having the money to pay for that. But that's not the case. And, you know, every specialist is 500 bucks for 30 minutes. And you're like, who Probably. has that money? Yeah. What do you do with your frustrations? With that? I'm going to ask a, sec- a follow-up question to this as well. But mm-hmm. what do you do with your frustrations in those moments? It's not like you're a champion for a cause. Like, this no, is your shit. Yeah. I think I just try to put it in perspective. For me, like... I'm not dying, it's never going to kill, you know, I do try to just get a grip on the perspective of the situation, and, you know, my mum always says, like, give yourself five minutes, Mm. and then move on, you know, Mm. so if I wake up on a day where particularly I'm feeling PCOS-y, or I've been on a diet for two months, and I haven't budged, and I feel like I'm starving myself to, you know, try to move a kg, Mm. I just have five minutes of being wild about it, and... I've got a temper, and I'll scream, and I'll run, and I'll punch, and everything. And then you've just got to, you've just got to put it in perspective of, of the world, and that it's you're alive. I'm healthy. It's fine. No one's asked me to lose this weight. You know, mm. like it's mm. just just kind of trying to get a grip on the reality of the things around you that are, yeah, a bit more sort of tangible than this this PCOS that just seems to be stuffing everything up. I think that's great advice, though, like taking five minutes and just embracing how you're feeling. Wallow, like like poor me, is what I just do for five minutes. And that's okay. No one gets it. Like that's, that's, you know, it's it's like, yeah, if you've got this thing, if you've got anything and you want to spend five minutes at the start of the day screaming, fuck (laughs) the world, I think that's great. Yeah, it does help as long as you have the ability to stop. Mm and have some water and go for a walk or something and then just let it go mm. and laugh. Just have a little laugh. I mean, dealing with a moustache, it's funny. <laughs> You've got to laugh, you know? Uh, at least you can grow one properly. <laughs> I'm still yeah, struggling after all these you. years. I'm still struggling after all these years. My follow-up question is, uh, and I've asked this of a few guests who have done what you've done, have, have talked honestly about their experiences and then had people with similar experiences Come to them. Mm-hmm. There's a weight to that. Mm. What do you do um, when you have had someone disclose mm-hmm. their own personal experience? How do you deal with that? What do you do for yourself? I mean, the mo- most of the time people would come to me about PCOS stuff because I've made work about it and I talk about it quite a lot. Um, it's funny, like, if I talk about my social media inbox, it's truly a mix of, like, leery creeps <laughs> and, like, desperate women being like, I, I watched your doco. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm, like, sifting through going, okay, her, hey, mate, like, da 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 But I truly, I, mean, I, I mean, I feel like at this point, because I've, because it frustrated me so much and I've gathered so much information, mm. I genuinely have, like, a pool of really trusted things that mm. I... Um, feel like I know and I'm not even embarrassed to say like I know this I know this to be true about PCOS um and I just share I just share everything that every sort of resource every helpful uh blog podcast website person Mm. um eating plan everything I just share it all and then just keep encouraging them to like talk with their friends because that was the biggest thing was me going I'm gonna make a doco about PCOS does any, any of my friends got PCOS? And it was like, and yeah. I was like, I didn't even know, you know? And, yeah. and now it's so much easier because you can go have a little yarn. And when you have your five minutes, you could do it with someone else mm. and really have a vent about 
and the woes of it. Is there anything, we asked this of all, I guess, is there anything you would like to share in the shower? <laughs> it's a funny sentence. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, th- I feel like I've really enjoyed this chat. And it's covered lots of things. I don't often just sit down with someone and talk about um, well-being for a long time. And, yeah, that's my thing always. It's just like talking, 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 talking Mm. about everything and anything. And I I overshare. And sometimes it, like, will kick back at me and I'll regret sharing so much. But I just don't, like, I don't want to have to carry things on my own. So mm. having chats like this, this show it's in itself is such a great, it's just such an amazing thing. And it's something that we just wouldn't have had mm. a years ago when we're all in our, in, in our showers we're eating fried chicken. Eating chicken. Can, I, can I ask if you've got any advice for any woman who is listening to this and that thing that you said before really struck a chord of um, the visual stuff. Like the feeling like they can't talk about it because it's going to horrify the people around them. Yeah. Is there like anything that we can say to any listeners or anyone who's got someone who's just like, oh, no, it's all ugly women's stuff and oh, yeah. gross and oh. I mean, truly, if, I mean, like, there's one side of things where I'm like, yes, there's some great tangible ways that you can help reduce these things that annoy you. But in the other way, I'm like, look around. Like, we all look completely different. I I barely meet a woman now that doesn't have a bit of facial hair that she probably wouldn't want to be there. I'm like, it just is not, it's just not important. Mm. And it means nothing to your self-worth. And I have thought about it more than anyone else has. (laughs) You know, people don't go home and go like, Hayley's sideburns are out of control. (laughs) I'm thinking that. Like nobody else is. Yeah. You know, like working in... Um, television. I've got people up in my face all the time. Yeah, your face is on buses. I know. You can't even go to work without seeing. You try and not look at your face, and then it just drives past you. I, w- I would get into che- makeup chairs and apologise about this acne I used to have, and they'd be like, "Oh, oh yes, oh that's fine." Like they, people just don't care as much as you care. So it's like if you can choose to let some things go, it's that. Is that your anxiety kicking in? Like when you're apologising for past acne that no one can see? I know. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, sorry, I used to have acne. Oh, I've got PCO. Oh, so it's all related to insulin. And I'm on this diet at the moment, so it's sort of sorted it out. But my skin's a little bit... And they're like, shh, stop moving your mouth. I need to put lipstick on it. <laughs> Get a grip. No one can see it. Yeah. Hashtag feminism. Stop moving your mouth. We need to put lipstick yeah. on it. <laughs> Less talky. Less talky talky, mate. More lippy More pretty pretty. (laughs) Feminism. Hayley Sprout. Dear Hayley Sprout, I listen to you in the shower. On behalf of all women. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm so sorry. I'm so... appreciate you coming in here, and I'm so sorry we've ruined your career. Thank you so much. No, I I was riding that wave too long, I think. Three TV shows, it's greedy. Let's tear it down. Yeah, it's very Kiwi. You had it coming, mate. (laughs) Yeah. Hayley Sprout, thank you very much. Thank you so much, James. Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower was produced for RNZ by Charlie Bleakley and Fruit and Nuts Limited. And presented by me, James Nokise. The engineer was Blair Stagpole. The executive producers for RNZ were Justin Gregory and Tim Watkin. Subscribe to our podcast however you just found this podcast. Or if you're listening on the radio, go to RNZ's podcast page and look for the chicken. And when you rate us, only give us five stars. Remember, more stars, more chicken. And if you want to share your safe space or comfort food, tweet me at James Nokise. If you need support, text 1737. 
or for more resources on mental health, check the Fried Chicken webpage at rnz.co.nz. If you're experiencing COVID-19-related mental health issues, go to health.govt.nz and search for COVID-19 mental health and well-being resources. We'll also link to it on the RNZ page. Faftailafa, matewa. Botox Cosmetic, Adobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.